Well, as I hinted at, two years ago we began this journey, a mission journey, with the intention of preaching through Ephesians. I said, we need to at least see the beginning of the church plant. So we went back into Acts, and then we went all the way back into Acts chapter 1, which I was just feeling led to preach into, and then God convicted me just to preach through the, the entire book of Acts, the letter of Acts, to get to Ephesians, where the church in Ephesus was planted by Paul on one of his missionary journeys. So then we've set aside from Acts to preach in Ephesians. We've been in here for uh, quite a number of months now. And the plan is to continue and pick up in Acts and conclude Acts. And then I uh, have an inkling of where we're going after that, but it's not 100%, so I'm not going to tell you. We'll see if God leads to that, to that uh, journey. It's, you know, Catherine knows, and she's like, I don't think you're ready for that. So... Um, We will see. So we are a church plant. Every church has its origins in Acts chapter 1. Even a church like ours with an 86-year history, we're still a church plant. Uh, We were started at one point, so just like every other church. So ways to say it is uh, we are a a new church with a long history. We are uh, a church plant with 86 years young. There's lots of different ways to say it, to be reminded of the importance of seeing God's people move out to reach those that do not yet know him, to make disciples of all nations, to become the church. That was the call of the early church. So Acts 1-4 is where we have our origin. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, this is Jesus, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then verse 8, you may have heard before. Jesus says with some of his final words to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Acts 1-4, just like he, Jesus said in Luke, has often been called the don't-go mission. Don't go yet. Wait for the empowering of the Holy Spirit before you get on the go mission, the co-mission, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The go mission is Acts 1-8. You will be my witnesses, but the don't-go mission is not without the Holy Spirit, not without his empowering His baptism, that's what John the Baptist called it, and so it's picked up here also by Jesus, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism simply means to dip under, to submerge, and so spiritually we would be completely surrounded by the presence of the Holy Spirit, God with us. That's what they were waiting for. Clearly this is describing the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Pretty amazing promise. Uh, Also probably convicting for us. We often think, if we were to think about it, that to have Jesus still on earth, even in the flesh. And imagine how small our world is today with technology and communication. That sounds better. That Jesus, even if he is roaming around the Middle East somewhere, he probably has a a Facebook account, doesn't he? We could at least follow him on Twitter. We could see him on the news. We could hear his, we could download his podcasts. 
And maybe every once in a while when he goes on a world tour, he would be in the States. We could travel to him. If we waited long enough, we could actually meet with him and he could pray for us. He could bless us. He might heal us. That sounds better, doesn't it? But not according to Jesus. He said, it's to your advantage that I leave, that I no longer remain on earth in this body, because if I do not go, the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I go, then the Holy Spirit will come, and that will be better for you, the church, than if I were still here with you. Do we believe that? Do we live in that reality? That daily truth that the Holy Spirit's presence with us at all times, at all, at all points, is better than if Jesus remained on earth. That's what we need to grapple with and wrestle with, even as we turn to Ephesians chapter 5. The Holy Spirit has been given. He has been poured out. Paul made sure of this, Ephesians 1. He said, in him you also believed when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are marked with the Holy Spirit, sealed. It's uh, the, like that wax seal of the king. It's been pressed on. It is secure. It's, it's authoritative. It's effectual. It's irrevocable. It's binding. That's happened. We have been given the Holy Spirit for all who believe. He was poured out on that first day at Pentecost 2,000 years ago. There was evident power of that, evidence of his presence And from that point on, anyone who puts their faith into Jesus is marked with the Spirit, receives the Holy Spirit. It has been done. We are filled. We are baptized. We are indwelt, empowered. There's lots of different words the Scriptures use to get at the same concept, the same idea. And so if that's true and the Holy Spirit has been poured out and the Holy Spirit has been given to all believers and therefore whenever the church comes together They become the the dwelling place of God, the new temple, the the new tabernacle, because God's spirit rests with us. So if that's true, then how could Paul say in 5.18, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. If we've already been given the spirit, he's already been poured out for all who believe. Paul is writing to believers Right, The saints in Ephesus, the, the holy ones, the set-apart ones, he's not writing to unbelievers who need to put their faith into Jesus and receive the Spirit. He's writing to believers, the church, the letter to the church. How can he say be filled with the Spirit? We've already received the Spirit. The clue is in the grammar that we fail to easily translate into English. And I think, actually, English translation should try to capture it and just let us chew on it and go, why did they write it that way? Because in the Greek, it's present passive. Okay, it's an imperative. It's an exhortation, a command. Be filled with the Spirit, but it's passive. It's something that happens to us. So it's based on a receiving, a posture that we must take to let something, to allow something to happen to us. But the present passive means it's now it's, and it's ongoing. It's a, whenever this is received, whenever this is heard, it's, an, it's a right now. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit would be probably the closest English translation we could get to this verb. And I think maybe we should just have it that way and read it. And so if you want to write into your Bibles, if you like doing that, be being filled. It's so imperative that we understand that there is both an initial receiving of the Spirit and then there's this ongoing commission, exhortation from Paul to the church to continue to be being filled to be renewed, 
to continue to experience the empowering or anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's our call and commission. We must receive that. It must be daily, if you will. Look at the contrast. Paul loves contrast. We've seen so many of them through Ephesians, death to life, uh, alienation to invitation and adoption, uh, darkness and light, and on and on. Look at this contrast. Do not be drunk with wine. Now, what's he saying there? When you drink wine, you are at first satisfied and influenced. There is influence to wine, if you don't know that. Now, he's saying don't go beyond that. Don't be drunk with it. Don't give yourself over to that. This isn't a sermon on alcohol consumption or the effects or the ills of it, but it was very, it was a very much part of their culture and um, probably just as abused as it is today. But Jesus' first miracle was to make an abundance of wine after many at the wedding had drank way too much already. So there's something there to consider. But Paul does warn us against being overly influenced by it, giving ourselves over to it. In the context of chapter 5, he's already addressed idolatry, giving ourselves over to anything for, uh, to seek satisfaction or influence is wrong. We must seek it in the Lord. And that's the contrast he's making. Through the Spirit to be satisfied and to be influenced. That's our call. And that, as the effects of alcohol on us, if you're pressing the analogy, maybe Paul wouldn't have wanted us to do that. Uh, It would need to be renewed or refilled because that affects wanes. He's making some kind of contrast to the ongoing need to be filled with the Spirit, to be influenced by the Spirit, that there's a regular habit of walking with the Spirit. As he'll say elsewhere in Galatians, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So we give ourselves to the Holy Spirit for his influence over our, our mind and our body, our thoughts and our attitude, and we say more and more, ever-increasing, ongoing. So many prayers in Scripture can be summarized in those two words. I've preached on this before. More, Lord. You could distill down some of the heart cries of God's people from his prophets to those who wrote the Psalms, to the apostles, to the disciples. More, Lord. Now, they use many other words, too, but that would be a heart cry from each of the. Here's a few. Psalm 63, 1, Psalm of David. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You hear that heart cry, that more, Lord. More of you, renewal in you, receiving more. Habakkuk 3, 2. Preaching through Habakkuk was one of my favorite sermon series I think that I've, I've been able to do. I just really appreciate the prophet Habakkuk, short little book. Um, he, he cries out more, Lord, in this way. O Lord, I've heard of the report of you and of your work. O Lord, do I fear. But in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. Crying out more, Lord. Jesus basically taught us to pray this way. When he said, your, pray to your Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that not a more Lord prayer? We look into our world, do you see our world becoming more like heaven? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. More, Lord. It doesn't seem to be that you're answering that prayer. So we cry out to you with even greater desperation. When Jesus was also making a contrast. Luke eleven thirteen, he says, if you then are e- who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more 
Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How much more? And so we pray more, Lord, more of your spirit. Remember, this is the way Paul has been praying for the church in Ephesus. It's, where, it's how he's been exhorting the church. See, hear the more, Lord, in some of those maybe familiar prayers. He himself, and remember, he himself has seen the baptism of these believers, both the water baptism and then the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 19, he even laid his hands on some and they received the Spirit and spoke in tongues. And he says to them, to this church, he prays that they would know the immeasurable greatness of his power, that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that they would be filled to all the fullness of God. And here in chapter 5, that they would be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul continues to pray and invite the church to pray for more, Lord. And so rightly we say, have we, have we been praying that way? Have we, or have we lost our thirst? Have we stopped seeking? Have we stopped crying out for a, a revival, a renewal, an awakening, to use the language of chapter 5 here? Have we failed to even ask our Father for the Holy Spirit? Or if we have asked, do we not believe He has fulfilled His promise? We must also receive as we ask and believe. To fail to continue to ask for more of the Holy Spirit is to resist the Word. It's to ultimately reject the whole of the Gospel. And it would purely be unchristian, to put it in that vernacular. Jesus said in John 7, 37, on this last day of the a great Jewish feast, he stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John inserts a clarification on what Jesus meant. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. The Holy Spirit will be poured out into the lives, the hearts of those who would believe in him to be like streams of living water. If he's the fountain of life, then out out of us becomes living water flowing, the power of the Holy Spirit in us to overflow to bless others. This is incredible news. This This is the gospel. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and I will fill to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. John 14.16 I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Why is this the gospel? Why is it good news? By the way, if we're preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel with our friends or with our family or maybe even strangers if we happen into those conversations, it better sound like good news or it's not the gospel. If you're wondering, as you're thinking about it in your head, you're like, that man, that, that, that doesn't land right. That sounds like condemnation or shame or religion. Yeah, you haven't gotten to the gospel yet and we need to receive the gospel. It sounds like, it should sound like good news. Why are those three verses powerful expressions of the gospel because our world is longing to be full, is longing to be satisfied. And Jesus says, come to me and you will be full to overflowing and fully satisfied. Our world is longing for some kind of 
power, empowerment, ability. And he says, come to me, trust in me, and the Holy Spirit will come and empower your lives. Our world is longing to be known and to be in community. It's how we've been wired. I will give you another helper, a counselor, who will be with you forever. You will never be alone. This is the gospel. You can be full, satisfied, empowered, and never alone. By the way, the enemy will take the core truths of the gospel and speak the exact opposite, won't he? You can never be satisfied. You will never be fulfilled. You will always be longing. You will always be wanting. That's just your reality. You will always be weak, unable, lesser, and you will always be alone. No one will ever fully be able to understand you or love you. The lies of the enemy. We resist them. We rebuke him. We resist them in the renewal of our mind by proclaiming the truth of who God is and what he's done and what he's promised for us. Now, having said all of this, I don't, know that this, I don't know that we have a rub here. I don't know that we have a difficulty in believing this. If Truly, if we have come to believe in our creator God who has sent his one and only son, Jesus, to walk this earth, to live the life we should have lived and failed, to die the death we deserve to die, that we might live through him, if he has gone to the grave and risen again, if he's been ascended from this earth to be seated at the right hand of God, these are pretty core concepts for those who come to put their faith in who God is and who Jesus is according to his word. If we believe in all of those, then how could we not believe that the Holy Spirit too has been poured out into our lives for the church, to the church? I don't know if this is where the rub is, but for some reason we tend to get tripped up on the refills, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, the renewal that he is with us daily. And maybe we stop short of praying for more. If our God is eternal and infinite, then there is always more of him for us to know, see, love, and worship. There would be no end And there's always more of us, by the way, that needs to be broken and empty and surrendered that we might be filled. The example set through the Scripture, and especially in the early church, is men and women who are longing for more, who are seeking Him desperately, who are crying out to Him, who have known and experienced the outpouring of His Spirit or have known others who have walked in it and longed for it themselves. I asked our growth group Tuesday night, as we gather, do you read, when you read the book of Acts, does it frustrate you? Because it's not our current reality. We see this early church birthed in the power of the Spirit on mission with Jesus, and we look around and we say, I don't know if I see any of that today or even in my own life. And yet that is what we're called is to be as, as normative. It's the normal Christian life to gain the title by Watchman Nee. The life that Jesus lived was a normal expression of a life dependent on the Holy Spirit. And those that followed after him and who believed in him walked in communion with the Spirit, empowerment in the Spirit, and it was normative. We should read Acts and be discouraged or frustrated, turn to in desperation, crying out, Lord, more. And in repentance, Lord, where have we not believed? Where have we inhibited your presence in our life. Really, preachers throughout history 
have urged and called the church, when there's a call to revival and renewal and awakening for the church, this is at the center of it. To know the Holy Spirit and to receive more of his blessing. Beginning with Paul. This wasn't, this wasn't too long after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, within just a few decades. And he's already urging a church to awaken, to be renewed in the Holy Spirit, to experience him more and more, to be being filled. That's his heart cray. Now, in more recent days, here you probably heard of some of these preachers, maybe John Stott, the great British pastor preacher. Whenever one looks, wherever one looks in the church today, there's an evident need for a deeper work of the Holy Spirit. How about Billy Graham? The greatest need today is for men and women who know Jesus Christ as Savior to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we are not filled with the Holy Spirit, we are simply sinning against God. A.W. Tozer, no surprise that he's going to preach on the Holy Spirit. He says, no other subject could be more crucial to the church today than the Holy Spirit. Probably wrote that in the 50s or 60s. He says, I know nothing that inspires me more than meditating on the scriptures concerning this third person of the Trinity. How about Andrew Murray a little before Tozer? Also with a deep longing heart for the Lord and for holiness and for prayer. He said, the one thing needful for the church, the thing which above all others men ought everywhere to seek for with one accord, with their whole heart, is to be filled with the Spirit of God. And we could go on and on. But these men, these pastors, these preachers who are calling to the church, to the church, not that our world would come to Jesus and be filled with the Spirit. Of course, there's that need, but they're calling to the church to be awoken, to be renewed, to be pursuing the ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit, just as Paul originally called the Ephesian church. Theologically, we believe the Spirit is here and is omnipresent. He is all places. Theologically, we believe that we, if we have believed in Christ, have been marked with the seal. We take, we take him at his word. We have received the Holy Spirit. He dwells within us. And Paul would say in Romans, if, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, then we are not saved. But if we have believed, then we have received the Holy Spirit. But how is it that then practically we live as if this were not true? We live short of the divine power of God dwelling with us. We, we picture either the Holy Spirit as something lesser than he is, perhaps like a, a spouse, a relationship that has influenced our lives, is with us often, but not always. We're not always on the same page with. And we wonder if we'd be better without at times. Or maybe we view him as a, just a counselor, Right, some kind of doctor that we could call up, set an appointment, meet with. He could help us. But then we're on our own for most of our, the rest of our week or life. Or even worse yet, at least those are somewhat personal relationships or examples. We sometimes view him just simply as a power source, as if like an outlet that we could plug into and recharge from time to time or draw some strength from. But we're ultimately going to be disconnected and be on our own once again. The question is, will we at least become increasingly aware of the Spirit's presence, being filled? And, and use, different, use the language of the Scripture, is filled 
more often than baptized. Baptized was probably just to make that initial comparison to the, on, to the, the full submersion of the Holy Spirit, but empowered, anointed, and filled are the most common words used to the ongoing work of the Spirit in the lives of believers. It's critical not just for the life's biggest moments that we walk with the Holy Spirit and in His power, but for every moment, for all of life. Imagine what would be different in our lives and within a church if we walked always aware and empowered by the Holy Spirit for all things. What would it change? What would be different? What if that, these kinds of prayers became as natural as breathing for us? Lord Jesus, pour out your Spirit now here. Fill me. I'm walking into a board meeting. Holy Spirit, help. I'm walking into my daughter's school to volunteer in her first grade class. Holy Spirit, fill me. Breathe upon me. I need to have a difficult conversation. Holy Spirit, come with. We're going to life group tonight. Holy Spirit, help me. I'm taking my kids to soccer practice. I'm about to sit down in the dentist chair. I'm about to... Just What if these became natural responses as we walk in the intimate relationship with the divine God who is present with us? Imagine if we actually believed it, church. How radically different would it be? This isn't about religion. It's about a relationship. It's not about right behaviors. It's about what we believe. Truly, behaviors will follow our beliefs. But Jesus said... I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's a way of living that he modeled for us. A life dependent on the Holy Spirit. Praise God that we have his life. This is what it looks like to live a life dependent on the Spirit for all things. You know, before, before believers were called Christians, and by the way, in, in Acts 13, that was kind of a derogatory term at first, Oh, those little Christs trying to be like him. Well, we take that and receive that. In fact, it would be better to be named by the world around us and receive that than to claim it of ourselves. A little boastful to call yourself a Christian, isn't it? You truly exemplify Christ in all you do? You model him? May we, would we? But before called Christians, we were called followers of the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There was a way of living that was so strikingly different from what the world saw that they had a name for it. Are we even named today in a way that we would say, yeah, we receive that. There was a way of Jesus, and his way was being anointed and empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit While on earth, he did not draw from his divinity because he was fully God. He lived fully dependent on the Holy Spirit with him, anointed at his baptism. What was his way? How did he live? This is truly probably another entire sermon. So just to to get us there, a couple things. How did he live that was so, is, you know, probably convicting for us as we consider it. He wasn't in a hurry. He didn't have a personal agenda. He knew what Sabbath was. 
He sought out silence. Prayer was a source of his life. Sometimes praying all night. I guess we could just begin there with some of the rhythms of the way of his life. And we could go on and on. But before we even touch on the way he lived related to possessions, positions, influence, comforts, securities. As I, I said early, earlier, jokingly, but would Jesus have even had a smartphone if he walked the earth today? Would he even be on social media? You can chew on that with your life groups. If this is the way of a spirit-filled life, the way of Jesus, do we even want to be filled with the Spirit? A.W. Tozer, I quoted this a couple weeks ago, he said, my concern isn't that we as followers of Jesus don't believe that we can be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not my concern. I'm paraphrasing from a sermon he preached, which you can find online when he preached on Ephesians 5. My concern isn't that we don't believe it. My concern isn't even that we don't know how. We don't know how to be filled. We don't know how to, be, to, to pray for the ongoing filling. My concern is that we are as full as we want to be. That's my concern for the church today. He preached that sermon over 60 years ago. Perhaps it would be helpful to think of it as, from the opposite perspective. I think, how can we receive more of the Spirit? How can we have more? If we are, we are limited in our capacity, Paul uses that analogy of we're like jars of clay. If we tip over off this table, we're shattered. We are, we are weak vessels, but for some reason God has chosen to dwell within us, to fill us with his presence and his glory, to use us. That's the striking contrast from his letter in the to the Corinthian church. So if we're like jars of clay, well, there's a limited capacity. And we get the image of, if we connect with Jesus and say, and say okay, I see, my, I see as a vessel being filled to fullness and overflowing, right? We can get that analogy. But at some point, there's a limit. So do we leak? Wayne Grudem, famous theologian, more modern day scholar, kind of use the analogy of a balloon as if a balloon leaks and needs to be refilled and the capacity can actually increase. I don't like it at some point, you know, it can increase too much, we've got problems. But the, 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 uh, the vessel, what if our vessels, what if our lives, our bodies are filled with sludge, mud, goop, all the way to the top? Well, how are we going to have more of the Holy Spirit? And we've got to be cleaned out. We've got to be emptied out. The, the living, pure water of God would flow in and through us. Are we as full of the Holy Spirit as we want to be because we are content being full of other things? I preached on consumerism last week to a degree in the concept of idolatry that Paul calls our greed. I won't rehash that. I think in some ways we are filled with so many other things 
At first, hoping that they too would satisfy us. Now, if we're wise, knowing they don't. And yet, it's all we know. And so we live in fear of what it would even mean to be to have those, those things that we've been pursuing as a source of life completely removed and eradicated from our life that we could be empty enough to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the living presence of God. Because what we know is this, and we're managing okay. And so I both receive Tozer's words for myself and I resonate with them when I look at the state of the church as a whole. Are we as full as we want to be of the Holy Spirit of God? The only thing that's going to cause any change, any renewal, any awakening in the church is that we would truly be emptied and filled with the Holy Spirit. Revival happens to the church, not to the culture. So awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. John the Baptist, what did he say? He was the one that first preached that the Holy Spirit would come and baptize. Jesus would come and bring fire. And he said, then I must decrease, he must increase. I must become less, he must become more. Is that our heart cry? That's why it's so appalling to consider the abuses that are done in the name of spirituality and spirit fullness. Because with the spirit fullness, there is no superiority or self-promotion or segregation. There's no room for that. More of the spirit means less of us. As our maturity increases, so does humility. They are directly proportional and how do we know this? Look at the results. Look at the fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists here. Remember in Galatians 5, he has another list that we would often title, and it probably is titled in your Bibles under a heading, not by Paul, by the way. Someone else came in later and titled those for us that so we could find things. But it probably says, the fruit of the Spirit. And you probably memorized it if you grew up in the church. The fruit of the Spirit is nine things. Love, joy, peace, patience. You want to call them out? faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, kindness, self-control. So here's an example of what Paul says is the influence of the Holy Spirit in us. It'll look like this. It'll be fruit. It'll be this kind of fruit. What's, what's the fruit according to Ephesians 5? Now you see it there before you, and I'll run through it briefly. But before we run through it, consider who's writing this. Consider Paul who has received the ongoing fullness of the Holy Spirit as much as anyone, and who has seen the supernatural power of manifestations of the Holy Spirit in incredible ways, unmistakable ways. Hundreds prophesying and speaking in tongues unknown to them. He saw people get healed, delivered, raised from the dead, and just to name a few. And he lists none of those as evidences of examples. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and then imagine the healings that are going to take place, the power that you're going to see, the signs, the wonders. Now, Lord, we'll receive all of those and more and more and more. Bring it. If that's normative, we want to see that too. 
But look to the one who could have listed any one of those and what does he say is the fruit? What does he say is so evident of a spirit-empowered life and church? You will address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Some of us stop right there and say, if that's what it means to be spirit-filled, I'm out. I'm done. I don't even like to sing in church or hear my own voice. I have to sing to one another? I think of my grandmother, Lois. Going to, I grew up nec- right next door. We lived next door to a very blessed, to ha- and it was somewhat awkward at times, but very blessed to live next to gram- grandma. And without even knowing it, she would just be, knowing anyone was listening, she'd be walking through the house always singing. It's always a tune. There was always a smile upon her face. There's just evident joy. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says. I think that's what Paul is getting at here. There's just a palpable joy of those that are spirit-filled. It'll just come out. It's infectious. You want to be around it. And it should be every one of us with our own personality. That's what the evidence of the Holy Spirit's power and empowering and filling looks like. Be filled with the Holy Spirit that you will give thanks always in everything. That means the good and the bad. In health and abundance, it should be easy. What about in times of loss and pain and grieving, hardship, uncertainty? The evidence of the Holy Spirit is you've got a people that will truly give thanks in all things. The apostles themselves, Acts 5.41, they counted it worthy that they were, they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. They gave thanks that they could participate in his ministry. We say, thank you for the hard things, Lord. They make us pursue you and trust you and long for you and depend on you more than even than times of ease and abundance. And then this third one he lists. These could all be sermons, so you're welcome. They're not. Be being so filled with the Spirit that you would submit to one another. Maybe this should, we might need this to be a whole sermon. He lists through basically three things as evidence of the fullness of the Holy Spirit here, and one of them is the submission to one another. I'll go into this next section and talk about it, what it looks like to submit one to another in our relationships, honoring one another encouraging one another, actually considering others as highly as we consider ourselves and their needs even above our own. This is what Paul says is the evidence of the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. Imagine now, imagine a church that is marked with joy, with thanksgiving, and with honor. We don't need supernatural signs to be strikingly different than the world we live in. We just need those manifestations and the world will take notice. And when Jesus said, by your love for one another, all peoples will know that you're my disciples. And that's not done in our own strength. That's done when we actually release and surrender and say less of ourselves, Lord, 
less of the stuff that I've been filling my life with, and you and you alone, come and fill me. Come and fill us to fullness. We need to take God at his word. The filling of the Holy Spirit may be a very emotional experience. He may break some things in our life that must be broken. We may tremble. We may crumble. We may get goose flesh or goosebumps, and we may get none of that. Jesus said, if you ask the Father, he will give you his spirit. So we ask believing, and all it takes is this much faith, doesn't it? Not the amount of our faith, it's the bigness of our God and the faithfulness of his promise. But are we ready? Probably not. But would you ask? That's our response today. I'll invite the team to come. What I'm processing here is I have a written prayer for us is to invite you to stand. That's a difficult thing sometimes in a group setting because it's in even just presenting this and trying to interact now with the Spirit, some of us rightly may not be ready and I don't want the influence of others standing around us to say, you know, I need more time on this. I'm processing. God is working with me on this. That's, a, that's an okay, if not good and holy posture. If you're not ready to ask for the Holy Spirit and for his filling, because that is walking into something that could change everything. And it's okay to hesitate. Instead of simply to stand because everyone else is and go through a prayer and a routine. I don't want any of that. But the posture is important. Our posture of receiving is important. So maybe some of you will do want to stand and would stand and I'll pray for you. Even now as we lead into response. Others may simply want to hold out their hands. Take the posture that the Lord is encouraging you to. And if you know you need to sit and pray and receive and think, do that. Be blessed in that. Don't just stand because others are standing but I do believe our posture is important and we respond to the Lord this way. So pray along with me in your heart. If these resonate with your words, say them to the Lord in the way that you would. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Father, we are asking. We are asking for more of you. We are believing your promises. Give us the strength to surrender and to yield all to you. May you increase, may we decrease. You alone are our one true desire, the source of living water. Satisfy us with your presence and your power. Cleanse us of all else that we've been filling ourselves with. Bear diverse fruit in us for the blessing of others. Empower us, Lord. Anoint us to preach good news to the lost and to the poor. For you have sent us and you are sending us for your glory and the glory of Christ and for our joy.
Amen.